Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Good morning. Good evening. Wherever you may be across the nation or around the world. Once again, you're listening to the VMware V-Expert Community Podcast. This is podcast number 317. My name is Eric Nelson, and today with me, my co-host, Ryan Johnson. Ryan, how are you today? Well, possibly Ryan is out there. Uh, Corey, are you? Corey, my second co-host. Corey, are you on the call? Yes, I'm here. I'll fill in for hey, Ryan. Corey. Hey, Corey. <laughs> you know, I've got to figure out that mute. Thing. Yeah, yeah I exactly. figured you were on mute. There's Ryan. There he is. Hey, there he is. Yeah. Exciting day today. Ryan is uh, our, our, two, our new technical marketing co-host. Ryan, how's it going? Welcome to the show. Uh, this is your first day. Are you nervous? Absolutely nervous, uh, but it's a, it's a great day down here in the central Florida. Nice warm day, but I'm sitting in the office okay. ready to do this podcast with you, buddy. So you got, the, you got through your vacation okay? Did you have a stay vacation? Yeah, it was a good staycation, hanging out with the kids and, and, and the wife. We had a really good Really good vacation. Cool. I, thought good. I did work. I did work quite a bit. So, right. Well, that's that's how it always is. Corey, how's it going? Everything's going great. Yeah. Good. 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 Everything's yeah. going well, fantastic. I, I tried to I tried to use Periscope. My phone it has Periscope on, but I couldn't get it to tweet out the URL for the podcast. So we're still learning how to use that. But if we get that working, we could have Periscope sessions going for the podcast for the first time since about three years ago when we actually had live streaming going for the podcast. I don't know if you guys remember that or not, right? Where uh, Mr. Troyer and others used to do the uh, podcast. So um, if we get Periscope going, we'll have live Periscopes with with the community podcast as well. So that's kind of cool. That would be very Um, cool. Yeah. So, so uh, in the news today, in the news today, big announcement, Pat Gelsinger resigns. Don't know if you guys saw that or not, but uh, he resigned and they announced the new CEO for VMware going forward. I think Pat's going up to run EMC, uh, taking over for John Joe Chushi, and they announced today the new CEO in, in waiting, uh, John Mark Troyer. Never, I don't know if anybody's heard that or not yet, but uh, supposedly John Mark Troyer is coming back to VMware to be our new CEO. So that should be exciting. Yeah, sweet. You heard it here first. John Mark Troyer, CEO of VMware, and I heard the first thing he's going to do is going to announce a new acquisition of Amazon. Amazon, we're going to get into the cloud business. We're going to acquire Amazon, right? Uh, I heard first thing he's going to do is implement Prime, you know, because it's free shipping. <laughs> So is he buying years, Amazon right? or Amazon Prime? <laughs> <laughs> uh, happy April 1st, everybody. I hope you guys are everybody having a good day. On the show today, we have Tony Foster from EMC. We have Danny Allen from VMware. We're going to talk about desktop as a service. Um, Horizon Desktop Solutions, uh, there's, you know, there's ways to set these guys up. We've got uh, Tony and uh, Danny on the show to talk about uh, DAS, desktop as a service, reference architecture, how to set it up, 
how to use fast storage to make that happen and make it better. Um, so on the show today, Tony and Danny. Tony, Danny, are you guys on the on the call? We are. Oh, I am fantastic. here. I'm delighted to be here. Uh, excellent, excellent. Well, thanks for taking your time, your lunch, to to join us and uh, chat about what's happening uh, in uh, Horizon and desktop as a service. Uh, really cool to have you on the show. Uh, do a little news first, and then we'll get into desktop as a service. So in the news today, uh, obviously VMworld, call for papers still out there. Uh, happy to uh, get you guys to submit your papers. Um, we also have some vExpert stuff going on. Uh, Corey, what's happening in, in vExperts? If vExperts listening, uh, what should they know about going on? So vExperts, uh, a couple things are happening. We are uh, getting ready for the next release of the newsletter, which is the vExpert Intel Report, quarterly Intel Report. So that's going to go out here in the next uh, next seven days. Um, to brief on what's gone out in the previous week or two weeks, uh, licenses are out for vExperts. Uh, vSphere 6, vSphere 6 with Operations Management, uh, as, long as, as well as vCenter Server 6. Uh, we have a webinar coming up with Kemp Technologies. It's, a, uh, it's an offering for a private webinar on April 29th. You can find information in the community, in the vExpert private community. It's going to be on their virtual Loadmaster product. Okay. Uh, VMworld Bye. blogger passes are open for bloggers and vExperts. So you can go to blogs.vmworld.com slash vmtn to find out more information on how to apply. And then we have a vExpert, what we call the vExpert record update that I put out yesterday. And we all what was was just a, hey, are you currently using um, containers? And if you are, um, what is your, you know, are you currently using containers, uh, microservices, or distributed, distributed apps? If you are, check this box. Um, it's going to give us information to feedback uh, to the BUs and, then, and how to work and engage with vExperts. So looking forward to some exciting news in the next couple of months with that. Right, right, and so call for kind of like call for blogs, call for interaction on containers, and what are you doing? Right. And if you're doing something, you know, we could we could potentially potentially do some interesting joint marketing efforts for your blogs or for your outbound stuff around containers uh, and microservice architecture kind of stuff. Right. Absolutely. No, oh, nice, nice, and uh, uh, I know that. Um, that's it. I guess I guess that's it. So you know. The expert status happening. Um, when's the next? If you want to be a v, v expert, when is that next opening? When can we reg again? If you're out there and you've kind of been listening to the expert program, when does that go? When does that happen again? So applications will open up in June, and the announcement will be right around uh, VMworld San Francisco. All right. All right. Oh well. well good. Well, uh, thanks for the update for that. I think that's uh, you know ongoing program, great program. Uh, it's kind of the place where we want all outbound to go. Uh, one of the things that I worked on this week, uh, which we talked about in the podcast in the last couple of weeks, is what about uh, vCloud or VMs? Like how, how can the experts participate and get some free VMs from VMware in vCloud Air? Because we give away the licenses, right, uh, for vSphere and all that. Now we have this new service-based product. How do we get licenses to the vExperts for for vCloud Air, right? So, Corey, right. me and you have talked about that, right? Um, and yes. I did make some progress this week. I did get commitment from the uh, 
from the BU, had some meetings with the BU, basically escalated it saying, hey, how do we get this out in the vExpert uh, community? And they, the vCloud Air team has done stuff with vExperts in the past, right? So mm-hmm. um, yeah. if you, you are a vExpert, we have done call for what, beta participation? Did we do that? When yeah, right. Yes, we did. Okay. All right. Well, um, uh, one month uh, access to vCloud Air, if I recall, as well. Right. So uh, what we have happening in the works, I don't know when we're going to announce it, but I can talk about it because we've got commitment to do it. We are arranging for vCloud Air for a year so that if you get um, – if, if you get if you get a vExpert uh, award, uh, you will get a, a yearly vCloud Air uh, subscription uh, with basically enough money on it to let you run you know a VM for a year. That's kind of our our goal, right? So that um, the, I'd like to say everybody gets a VM for a year, uh, but the, the the reality is vCloud Air has a bunch of other services that you might want to play with as well. And so what we want to try to do is put enough money on the account. So that if you're a VExpert, you can come in, you could spin up a, uh, a VM for a year if you wanted to, or you could run other cloud services. If you spin up 20 VMs, you could burn through the dollar amount that's uh, allocated towards you uh, to, to run those services. But we're definitely going to uh, put that in place and get that out to the VExperts probably in the next quarter. So that uh, VExperts, if you're a VExpert, we're basically expecting you to go off learn about our technology, and then evangelize it. And so why not also give you access to vCloud Air so you can uh, do that kind of work uh, out on, on the vCloud Air VM infrastructure. So that's kind of cool. That is right? very, yeah, that is very cool. That, that's awesome yeah. to hear. Yeah. Move yeah. On your yeah, exactly. Well, that's kind of why I wanted to <laughs> – I wanted to get you a VM for a year, so that way, if you wanted to move, if you wanted to move into vCloud Air, you actually could, and you wouldn't have to worry about that. I know this week we had some a news report of one of the V experts uh, that was part of the beta program did not shut down their um, their VMs and got a bill from us, right? Um, and so we had to go back and fix yes. that. Did, did we get that fixed for them? Yes, we did. Yeah, yeah, yep, we did. We got that reverted back to zero balance. Yeah, okay. So, so, and then, you know, we've talked actually to the program about, you know, if you end up using a lot of resources and you can justify why you're using a lot of vCloud uh, resources to be a vExpert, to evangelize, uh, you know, we can up that number. We can, we can get you, we can, we can, we can do that kind of stuff. So, um, really the idea is to get you in the vCloud Air, using the vCloud Air services. Um, and I still believe that they don't charge for network usage as well. So, one of the few places out on the web that you can actually do that. So, Cool stuff. I think that's it for the for the news that I have. Um, you know, John Troyer, as soon as he takes over the company, will will be in good shape here. We'll we'll all be happy. Um, and let's hope uh, he doesn't fire us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think he would. I think he would. Especially since I can't get my Periscope URL to be <laughs> out. to look back at the podcast and fire us. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This is what you guys have been doing. Uh, I was telling I was telling Corey, if you're listening to this, that. We should try to figure out how to work John Troyer's name into every podcast, you know, this year in 2015. Can we use the the name Troyer every time? Every time something happens, right? Uh, in a podcast. Little Easter. Right. right. 
Um, so Ryan, you've done some, you've done some, a little bit of studying on the Horizon desktop discussion, right? Um, I take it you've yeah. looked at the the Horizon uh, stuff. So uh, we'll flip. Let's let's introduce Tony and Danny. Let each one of them just give us a minute or two of who they are and what they do, and how long they've been at VMware or EMC, and then uh, maybe you can lead the the technical conversation with those guys. Does that sound like a plan? Sure. All right. All right. So Tony, uh, we'll start with you. Um, you're 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 a podcast regular here. You're always on you're always on the chat. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been at EMC, and what you do? Sure. I'm Tony Foster. I'm technical marketing for end user computing uh, solutions over here at EMC, and I've been here um, about a year at EMC proper. And prior to that, I was at VCE. So three years uh, in the EMC family. All right. All right. Well, well, great. And uh, and what are you focused on now? So what we're focused on right now is uh, a DAS solution that we just announced here, beginning of March. All right. So great. Desktop as a service. Fantastic. Uh, Danny Allen, you're VMware. How long have you been at VMware? What do you do? I've uh, been at VMware now for 18 months, I guess. Um, I I come to VMware. I, from a, from a smaller company, Desktone, uh, we did desktops as a service. It was a cloud-hosted architecture or platform, software platform, to deliver desktops from the cloud. And so uh, I was the CTO there and, and interacted regularly with VMware, with EMC, with VCE, with, with the entire family. And, and thankfully, 18 months ago, I got the opportunity to join, and we've been doing some really exciting things on the strategy side with helping to drive the end-user computing strategy forward uh, for VMware. It's great to be a part of the family. All right. Um, so uh, I'll ask the one kickoff question, Ryan, and I'll let you jump in with questions. But uh, Tony or Danny, who wants to describe um, what we're going to talk about today around Horizon Desktop and the reference architecture? I can grab that. So, okay. hi, this is Danny. <clears throat> So let me give some background um, on what brings us to, to today, and that is all around end-user computing services. And so like Tony, I've been in that space for a while, and there's obviously millions of people every day who interact with desktops. And VMware has been in the business for a long time of providing virtual desktops for a number of different reasons. And, and usually the, the top four reasons for, for driving this forward, uh, an initiative around virtualization is to enable access from any device. So, you know, we've seen this explosion of tablets and MacBooks and, and mobile devices and things. How do I enable people to be productive on those different devices? And then secondarily to that, there is the how do I enable them to be uh, successful from anywhere? I happen to be on the road today. I'm at a hotel in, in North Carolina. How do, you, how do you take someone who's traveling all the time and, and help them to be uh, not only productive from any device, but from anywhere? Um, while allowing IT to have the control they need and, and the flexibility to scale up and down. And so virtualization solves a lot of, uh, a lot of those issues. So that is specifically, let me spell out what that is before we get into the reference architecture. Reference architecture. So desktop as a service really is the model where you take virtualization and you offer it as a service. And there's a lot of benefits to this, whether you're a large enterprise and you're trying to 
offer virtual desktops or, or services applications to your users um, in a very broad environment. That's one use case. Sometimes it's actually a service provider themselves offering this to their, to their various tenants. But the benefits to consuming this in a service type environment is that it eliminates a lot of the risk up front. What organizations often have to do is um, they will step out on a journey to say, hey, I'm going to do this virtualization thing. And they don't know when they begin whether or not it's the right step for them. And so when you consume this as a service, obviously it eliminates that risk because you can start very small and, and prove a case and then expand from there. And, and you don't need to expand to, to spend the CapEx up front or you don't have to acquire the operational skill set to, to run that platform before you answer the question of, you know, is this right for me? And so it leads to the very predictable cost, um, and it gives you what the cloud gives you, which is, which is time to value. Well, one of the things, obviously, that service providers and these large um, organizations want before they start the journey of, I want to offer this as DAG, is they want to know, well, what is, where is this journey going to take me? What does it take to architect a solution that enables this multi-tenant, very quick time to value for my lines of business? What does it take? to deliver on that. And so what we've been jointly working on uh, through EMC and, and VMware is a solution, a, a reference architecture, a solution guide that is very, very de detailed to eliminate all the risk for the solution provider up front because they don't have to figure out, you know, what is this going to cost me from a storage perspective, from a networking, from a bandwidth we were talking about before. What are all those different variables? And when this is all done, how do I price it? Uh, accordingly. And so this solution guide or reference architecture uh, is meant to address those those kinds of issues. So okay. who are the, who who's the target audience for this reference architecture? Is it the large enterprises? Is it service providers? Which which space is this uh this targeted towards? So, so the solution guide well go ahead Tony. Sure. So this solution uh is primarily targeted at uh, cloud service providers, although you can also see it used for uh, large enterprises. Mergers and acquisitions is one of the great places where you can actually use this. Right. Large, maybe perhaps large segment uh, businesses where they have a main corporate managed IT department, but different business segments, and they can provide service out to those business segments? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, we have a great use case of that right now where there's a state, uh, a central state IDT department where they have different agencies coming up to them and saying, hey, we want desktops as a service. And so uh, as you might imagine, you need the security and isolation and, and performance, and we'll talk about that in a moment, I'm sure. But they need to maintain an SLA across the different agencies and lines of business. And so you get these very large organizations, whether they be states or large enterprises, and then, of course, the service providers themselves. Excellent. Excellent. Can you tell us, uh, maybe dive in a little bit on the reference, on the reference architecture? So, Tony, do you want to yeah. yeah. Sure, most yeah, definitely. Like, so, yeah, I kind of like, like dive, in, dive into, like, you know, what are the components uh, of the reference architecture, you know, the speeds and feeds, and, and what the value is that comes yep. out of the reference architecture? So I put a link into the chat for anyone who wants to uh, hop on the EMC community network and actually take a look at the reference architecture and solution guide for this. Um, it's uh, it just so you will, we'll just say it. 
community.emc.com slash docs, D-O-C-S, slash D-O-C-43835. Wonderful. For those, for those listening on iTunes later on. And so the reference architecture lays out all of the um, different design characteristics that you'll find for uh, the DAS solution. goes through, lays out how your virtual center is going to be set up for each of these uh, deployments that you have, and how you go through and lay out the uh, different components of DAS. And at the high level on the uh, different components of DAS, you've got uh, the service provider appliance, which is what you use to actually manage the environment. Then you have the resource manager appliance, the tenant appliance, and desktop remote access manager appliances. And the cool thing about all of these different appliances that I just rattled off is they're always deployed in twos. Oh, nice. So your DAS environment is extremely redundant. Um, you can sit there and build this out to where you can have hundreds of tenants inside of your environment and not have any problems, not have to worry about oh, I need to upgrade the appliance. Um, it's got you uh, or got your back so that you're not putting yourself in a bind. And all of this is built on EMC Extreme IO All Flash technology. And uh, GMitch64 in the chat says, storage vendors love redundancy. Yes, we do. Um, so with the... Uh, DAS solution built on Extreme I.O., um, all-flash technology. That's wonderful for the desktops because now you're having essentially cloud desktops that are getting uh, SSD performance anywhere across the uh, world, wherever they're accessing their desktops from. Um, and then on the user storage side, which is also an important aspect, uh, the reference architecture uses EMC Isilon or EMC VNX arrays to store the user data depending on uh, what the needs are. Okay. So uh, I'll tell you, you know, when I was looking at the uh, looking at the solution overview and reference architecture, it kind of surprised me how much uh, how little I knew about our Horizon line. Um, I'm traditionally know about Horizon View and Horizon Workspace, and I knew about the Deskone acquisition. Can you tell me what the differentiating part is between what Horizon, the Horizon DAS platform is versus what we traditionally know as Horizon View and Horizon Workspace and where that kind of fits in? Sure. So typically we associate, and I say typically um, because there, there's always exceptions to the rule, but by default typically the, the Horizon View would be your, your on-premises solution. Um, it's a single tenant deployment for virtual desktops and applications that scales out for a single organization where Horizon DAS typically has been positioned as the non-on-premises components for the service provider or central service provider for a very large organization who is hosting on behalf of lines of business or on behalf of, of customers. And so the things that you might expect to see um, in Horizon DAS versus Horizon View, the most significant in differentiating is actually multi-tenancy. It's the ability, 
the ability, sorry, to deliver a service to many different tenants or many different lines of business or agencies, but to do that in a very secure fashion. And so security is obviously a critical component of it, but the multi-tenant nature of it and the scalable nature of it, because most service providers, of course, A, are scaling it within a data center. If they have you know, 50 customers in a specific region, they would have 50 tenants there, but also scaling from a geographic standpoint where they would be offering the service as we do in vCloud Air, for example, we have many different data centers um, where they're offering this desktop as a service from many different locations. And so it scales both numerically and geographically, but probably the most significant thing about it is, is the multi-tenant nature of the, of the software. Okay. So can you tell me a little bit like as far as the, the tenant infrastructure, is it like one pod per tenant or um, are, are they, they're sharing, a, they're sharing a, a pod or is it sharing a pod or is it their own pod? What, what, what are the, some of the design factors? Well, you get into some interesting <laughs> components uh, underneath the platform. So let me give you kind of the high-level picture of it, and that is that the the compute side of it typically is dedicated, and that is not because Horizon does requires it. Um, it typically is because um, of the operating system that the tenant or customer wants to run. Windows 7, Windows 8, the client operating systems from Microsoft actually require dedicated hardware. And so that's not on the okay. storage side, but it is on the hardware side. And so each tenant would have their own cluster at the, uh, at the compute level. At the storage level, of course, they're, they're isolated that they have their own unique data stores, but you can share, uh, say, the Extreme I.O. Uh, State you could start with a starter block and that would host uh, about 1,250 desktops. If you went to a full X-Brick, it's about 2,500 desktops and it obviously scales out from there. So you're sharing the storage, but the compute clusters typically would be dedicated uh, per tenant. And that's, and like you said, just because of OS licensing? Is that correct? Well, solely because of OS licensing. You can do okay. server-based desktops and Linux-based desktops by sharing that, but uh, it's a Microsoft licensing thing. So are, are Linux-based desktops also an available solution within this ar architecture? They are. So you probably have seen some interesting announcements coming out of VMware UC recently around the, the beta availability, not the general availability yet, but of Linux desktops. Don't tend to be so big in the North American market probably, but certainly in the international space, we see a lot of demand for uh, Linux-based uh, VMs and workloads. Yeah, perhaps even in some develop, development or offshoring or, or education education section. Um, you mentioned yeah. the Xbrick the starter um, and that it can support up to, I think you said 1,250 desktops. What kind of desktops are those? What are some of the, like the, the IO patterns, the, si the sizes of those desktops, or even perhaps, you know, are they full clones or link clones? Or, can you tell us about that? Sure. So um, the... Xbrick, uh, or sorry, DES supports um, only full clone desktops. So okay. it's always going to be a full or a thick clone. Um, that said, one of the awesome things about Extreme IO is that it deduplicates uh, your data, just like a lot of other uh, storage manufacturers out there. And so, um, even if those are thick desktops, it compresses all of those down and only stores the unique information on the array. So you uh, definitely get a uh, storage advantage there. Um, 
And the other part of your question was uh, I/O patterns and stuff about uh, typical desktops. So um, the way we've done the sizing in the paper is um, we look at unique images per tenant. Because okay. if you go through and let's say you have 20 tenants, but they're all using basically the exact same um, desktop type, uh, storage space for those is going to be really well compressed. Um, and the I.O. in here, I can't remember uh, what we used with Login VSI when we did the testing on here. Um, I believe it was a medium workload in Login VSI, but I'd need to check on that. Okay. I noticed that uh, EMC Storage Analytics is used to, to monitor the performance of the storage. Is that correct? Correct. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the use uh, for EMC, EMC Storage Analytics and, and what you're using it for exactly? So one of the things um, that you'll run into with cloud service providers with large organizations is the desire to have chargeback and showback along with uh, service level agreements. They want to make sure that they're giving customers um, the service level agreement that they want uh, for the desktops. And so you can go in there and um, integrate this in, and I'm having a hard time remembering vRealize. You can go through, integrate that with vRealize and start um, uh, having an integrated view of performance for the entire environment. And if somebody calls in and says, my desktops are acting up, you can look in and see if it's just their desktops, if it's multiple tenants who are having the problem, if it's um, array-based, or where it is in the uh, entire chain of operations. So it really gives you that proactive ability to uh, diagnose issues um, from the storage all the way up through the rest of the platform. All right, so you can use the EMC Storage Analytics either by itself or in conjunction with VRealize Operations Manager to get a full holistic uh, view of your storage, your compute, as well as you know other areas, uh, even the desktop performance or user experience perhaps? Indeed. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, and that would include the management components as well can can feed in so the brokers and gateways and the various virtual appliances he alluded to before. They can feed in that data through um, you know, SIM WebM and SIM interfaces so that you have a complete picture from infrastructure to management to the actual VMs themselves. Okay. Are there actually are there any management packs for VRealize operations directly for the Horizon DAS components to monitor the appliances and the infrastructure? Nope. Um, you have the uh, uh, standard packages that are out there, and those pretty well plug in uh, as expected. Um, since really, when you look at Horizon DAS, what you're looking at are virtual machines in a uh, VMware environment. So you can monitor those like you monitor servers and whatnot. And, uh, have the visibility at that point as opposed to um, having a uh, customer or tenant-based view at it. 
Uh, kind of going back to an earlier point, you mentioned the appliance model, and I was I was really pleased to see that you have an, this OVF deployment model, and that you 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 instantiate it with multiple uh, appliances, you know, dual appliances to start with. And it sounds like you can scale those out horizontally or scale them up. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. the The model is such that there's always HA pairs, and they they have different functions. So, for example, for every tenant, we talked about security. Every tenant would have their own HA pair of, of brokers, where the links between the, the users and groups to the desktops and pools are associated. And so, there's always begins with an HA pair. But what happens is there is a threshold that the the virtual appliance that HA pair can't sustain more than. Um, so. Uh, for example, on the brokering side, they can manage up to about 25,000 VMs uh, within a data center. And so you just provision another pair. And now there's four nodes in that grid, and that can take you up to 50,000. And then you, know, you provision another pair that takes you to 75,000. And similar to um, various storage uh, file clustering mechanisms, it's, it's a peer-to-peer -peer model that all of those different nodes will self-replicate across the grid and so that you can do things like take a node offline and update it, bring it back up, restore it um, without service disruption because one of the big components of someone offering an as a service type uh, environment is they need the to offer an SLA that that their tenants or customers are comfortable with and so having this grid-based linear scale out is a big component of the software platform so it's got built like built-in high availability and load balancing and there's not a requirement for any external load balancers for the brokers well, there is a, it, there does become a requirement for external load balancers on the brokers when you begin to scale across multiple data centers. If you want everyone to hit, to hit one location, then route them accordingly based on where they are. Or when you scale past a threshold, we certainly partner with you know, organizations like F5 to, to deliver that. But built into a single tenant within a data center, certainly until you hit uh, 25,000 users, you would never have to add any additional load balancing. Okay. So when I when I think about being a customer and 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 using a cloud service provider's desktop as a service, one of the first things I, I think back to is is what about you know logging in and authenticating right your, your that customer's directory services or access maybe to some on-premises systems that they may have. How do you address that in the cloud service provider um, space and, and providing those links back for Active Directory or other systems that they may have to interact with through the DAS platform? Probably the, the best analogy I can give is that the cloud environment is a branch office. They're similar to a branch office. When I have an organization, I expand to a new location, I open an office there, and I connect it to the uh, VPN. But it's my network. It's my subnet. It's my DHCP, DNS, et cetera, my desktops, obviously, that sit on top of it. The same is true in the cloud environment. The isolation model is such that the customer or the tenant owns everything about the environment uh, in the cloud. So certainly that's true at a networking level. They own DNS, DHCP, directory services, any authentication, authorization to the desktops or the management of the desktops is done from their existing AD. They don't have to change any of their business practices. And actually I would say most customers, when they first start, they don't, um, they don't change and they don't extend a trust to the service provider certainly, but they don't even move their AD into right. the cloud. They, Keep it on premise and establish a VPN tunnel, and that's just an extension of their existing network. Exactly, extending it, make it make it more hybrid. 
Okay. Yes, and it's clearly um, where the industry is going hybrid so that people will have capacity on-premises and off-premises, but they don't want to treat them as individual silos. They want that to be one uh, pane of glass from a management and provisioning standpoint. So can you tell us about that, the, the, the pane of glass, the, the provisioning of desktops? How, how, how does that work for the, for the tenant administrator? Well, if you begin with the, with the case where they're solely in the cloud and you'd say, well, isn't that a single pane of glass? Of course, it's in the, a single pane of glass for the cloud. But the reality is that right. the customer might have capacity in different data centers, East Coast, U.S., West Coast, U.S., you know, U.K., uh, EMEA, Asia Pacific. They, by definition, there is a single pane of glass for them to manage all of the services that they uh, provision across those different environments, whether it be desktops or applications. And it's simply a, a, another field option. When they say provision me a thousand desktops, they simply pick a drop down and say put those, you know, East Coast, put those West Coast, put those in Europe. Um, and that's where the service is provisioned. When we get into a hybrid type state, um, it not only can provision, and we've delivered on the first iteration from uh, from a platform, from a software standpoint of this already. It actually came out last month. Um, but the, and it, we call it the Astro UI, but the it gives the ability not only to provision across the cloud, but also to on-premises capacity. And that could be a single on-premises, as you said before, we were talking about view deployments. But we expect down the road that there will be um, circumstances where a customer will have their own uh, environment with multiple nodes or multiple data centers of local capacity as well as cloud capacity. And all of that is to enable this business continuity that, you know, these large enterprises demand. Yeah, some bursting, some continuity of service. Okay. Awesome. So how do you go about um, onboarding a tenant, uh, sizing the desktops appropriately for the types of users you would have in this DAS, and DAS infrastructure? Well, similar to the server-based world, most uh, where you have different sizes of servers, small, medium, and large, most service providers would do the same thing on the desktop side. They would have uh, a small desktop, for example, if you're coming to VMware in our Horizon Air service, a small desktop is one CPU, two gigs of RAM, 30 gig drive, and a medium is two CPUs, four gigs of RAM, 60 gig drive, and a, you know they, it goes up from there. So there's different specifications the same way as if you're buying a physical desktop. And so it's really, for the end customer, it's really just a matter of what is the specification of the machine that I want and how many of them uh, do I want. The solution guide that we've put together solves that for the service provider. It helps them to size their backend based on the amount of capacity that they want to provide in that service uh, arena. Cool. So, you know, I'm familiar with how you access, you know, VMware View desktops, right? There, there, there's an app for that on most modern devices, an HTML interface, et cetera. What's the, what's the entry point to accessing these 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 DAS, these DAS uh, workloads, these desktops in the cloud. Is there an app for that? Is it HTML5 based? How do customers access those, those resources? Well, it's, this is the great thing about the hybrid world. It is the exact same thing. You use the view client for an on-premises view deployment. You use the exact same client 
for the cloud-hosted environment. And in fact, what's interesting when you get into this hybrid environment is that the end users don't even know whether they're connecting to something that's local or on-premise. And maybe you don't want them to know. If you have a disaster, you may have capacity on-premises, but you may want them in the event of an incident to, to connect to a cloud service. And they don't know where they're connecting to. So it's the exact same connection points. We have the view client that is ubiquitous across just about every device that you can imagine. But we also support just pure, as you say, HTML5 access. If you have a modern browser supporting HTML5, you can connect to the desktops and applications with nothing more than a browser. That's the beauty of the cloud. The user really doesn't have to know where it's coming from. They just know that they're consuming that service from the cloud provider, either on-premise. Um, and I'd imagine you have the ability, if you wanted to, have on-premises infrastructure desktops. And if you had a disaster, just be able to swing that to your cloud provider or burst that out to your cloud provider as needed. Absolutely. You, it's simply, if, if you had an on-premises deployment and all of a sudden the data center went offline, you could simply point your DNS record of whatever your broker was on-premise up to the cloud, and the end user wouldn't even know. They don't have to change anything, and, and you know now they're connecting to desktops. They just happen to be in a different location. Make it seamless. Make it seamless. That's very cool. Um, I noticed, I noticed when I was reading through the reference architecture, and just maybe because of the generalized reference architecture here, I assume it was based on, as far as the virtual infrastructure, it was based off vSphere 5.5 as the, as the platform, the, uh, the platform substrate? Uh-huh. Okay. And, it was, and I noticed they had you know, vCenter server Windows-based and SQL server 20, 2012. Is there the ability for the, server, the cloud provider to also use the, the vCSA? Um, for the management stack? I'm not sure what the testing, Tony, that you did on your, uh, on your end. Um, we only did the uh, um, uh, vSphere client on uh, Windows Server. So I'm not 100% uh, sure if um, you can actually use the VSA. I haven't uh, tested it, and I don't think anybody else uh, has tested that in our environment. Um, typically what we've seen is cloud service providers are uh, running a fairly large um, environment and tend to go towards what they've known and what they've used, which is the uh, uh, Windows servers. So, Very cool. Okay. Yep. So, Let's take a little quick step back. You mentioned the XBrick for the um, all flash, all flash array for the desktops. Um, for the user data, uh, I believe you mentioned Isilon and, and, and or VNX. VNX can be used for the user data, file shares, et cetera? Correct. And what's unique about this is you can do that uh, in the cloud service provider, or you can uh, use the backhaul link depending on uh, what your load is, what your bandwidth allowance is, to have um, the uh, user data stored um, at your primary facility and uh, connected to your desktops that way. So you can get uh, a lot of different options with how you want to deal with your user data and meet those different security guidelines and stuff for um, how data has to be handled. Now, how are how are apps uh, distributed to the desktops, or 
they installed in the clone or they provisioned through like a thin app or you know, app volumes piece or can you talk about that? So application management is always, and it, it depends, and it does depend on what the end customer wants to do. I would say most organizations start out doing what they do um, in the desktops right. today, which is they in, install the application there. But but within the platform itself, within Horizon Dives, you can not only publish desktops, you can publish remoting, remote access to applications. Sometimes people will thin up. Uh, the applications into the desktop. Sometimes people will thin up the applications into an RDS ser uh, server and publish them from there. Um, and obviously, app volumes is an exploding area. So all of those options are available, and it's really just up to what is the IT administrator comfortable with, what have they been doing historically, because we don't try to change their current business operations. We want them to sustain the least amount of, of uh, disruption possible as they take this first step towards a, a desktop as a service model. Awesome. Awesome. Eric, you got any questions on your over on your side? You've been a little I don't. I don't. I, I, I think this has been an excellent drill down on the technology, right, and, and the implementation of the technology. I always struggle with, you know, how do I scale my servers to make this happen? You know, if you're if you're running uh, you know, a bunch of desktops. I know everybody struggles with like, what does it mean in the back end to scale your servers out to to make this happen? I think you've drilled down a little bit on that, right? And then I always, I always, I always come back to the client side. Like, is the industry still moving to thin clients? You know, where does AirWatch plug into this? You know, where I'm I'm starting to use iPads, and you know, like, it, are 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 we still seeing major enterprises deploy? You know, thousands of Windows desktops. Where does Mac play into this? Where's the desktop in, uh, going in general? How does AirWatch play into this? Or is the are these just two separate technologies where we're just going to see you know desktop uh, virtualization and deploying desktops to be traditional in the desktop space? And then when you get Air AirWatch and mobile mobile computing, that's just a separate environment, and these two don't cross over at all. Or do they cross over? You know, when you're talking about mobile desktops, does all of this apply to my mobile world in uh, in iPad land, right? Um, so I don't I don't know if any of it does. If we're just talking about traditional Windows desktops, and do we care about this when it comes to Linux and other type of desktops as well? So any any ideas on Danny on where desktop is going in general, right? Um, I, otherwise, I think that's an excellent drill down on what you know what you have to do if you are taking traditional desktops virtual, right? Oh. There is clearly convergence happening in the space we're witnessing now between desktops and mobile. It, it had been traditionally that it was a one size fits all. We had a square peg, so everything was this square hole there was we we tried to we had a hammer everything was a nail and we tried to hit it with the with the desktop solution that is no longer the case we're seeing a lot of of use cases now uh certainly where the desktop continues to be the primary area of integration so i would say organizations where the person actually sits down at a desk and sits at a desk all day typically they continue perhaps a virtual desktop with a thin client but they still interact with the whole operating system However, we're seeing in the workplace where they used to use a desktop, but they don't sit at a desk all day. Think, think of a, a nurse, for example, who, who goes around a hospital treating patients. Their primary job is not sitting at a desk and interacting with a computer all day. It's, it's entering data about their patients. 
And so we see these remote use cases of, of workers that are, are very mobile or no longer sitting at a desk where they don't use desktops anymore. They're beginning to use tablets and they're beginning to interact instead of with a full operating system, just the set of applications that is critical for them. In both of those scenarios, there is still a requirement for the organization to secure the endpoint, to make sure that policies are being applied consistently and fairly. And that is especially true when you get into use cases where the users are remote from the corporate environment. And so we're seeing this convergence now around the mobile management, whether it be the application side of that, whether it be the device side of that. We're beginning to see the convergence where the IT organization needs to control both the, the endpoint and, and uh, policies and things associated with them, as well as the services that they're delivering to the user. So we expect to continue to see that convergence as we move forward. It's truly become, to, become a uh, multi-device, multi-user, multi-device world. When is the, the next Windows version out? What Windows versions do we support today? Uh, are we seeing Microsoft play along? Um, are we seeing conflicts in this space where in the old days, you know, when you had desktop virtualization, there was always issues around what version of Windows and do we have the latest version of Windows to host on that? Do we still have those kind of issues or are those kind of all gone away now? No, they're mostly gone away. We support everything from, believe it or not, Windows XP um, all the way up to the current version of Windows, which is 8.1. Um, Windows 10 is, is coming, obviously. So we support all the client operating systems as well as the server-based operating systems. Microsoft is, is playing along, but <laughs> with reticence, perhaps. Uh, their licensing model historically has been very unfriendly towards this shift in the, in the industry. But they are... Um, moving slowly to improve things for the uh, for the end customer. Yeah, because I, mm -hmm. I think the reality is they're trying to hold on to the market as well, right? They can't, they, yes. they no longer have such a strong monopoly that they can just throw bad licensing, term, licensing terms out, right? So now they're just trying to encourage you to keep using Windows no matter how you use Windows, right? Is that, is that kind of the pressure that they're feeling? Yes, I think so. I, they they historically have played obviously in the device market, and so their licensing historically has always been around that physical device that you'd buy. Well, you know, in the last few years, people are buying MacBooks and iPads and things that don't have Microsoft on it. And so, if they want to continue to play, and they've realized this, they actually just switched their licensing earlier this year from a per device, which is about as far from the cloud as you can imagine, to a, to a per user model. So it is getting better. It still has a ways to go, but it, it's getting better. And haven't they announced that they're going to be giving some upgrades or availability for Windows 10 for free? Or is, you know, I've seen some kind of rumors on that. Yeah, so as part of the consumer side of the market, they are consumer allowing upgrades from Windows 7 and 8 to Windows 10 for free. Um, they have not uh, announced that same thing on the corporate side, which of course would be their bread and butter. Right, right. Any and I actually, for uh, Mac OS desktops in the uh, in this DAS infrastructure? <laughs> <laughs> well, you talk about not playing along. Uh, <laughs> Apple believes in the <laughs> Apple believes in the tight coupling of, of the software and hardware, as is very evidenced by every single device that they put out there. And so they allow Mac OS or, or OS X to be virtualized on Apple servers. And you know, there's not a lot of Apple servers out there. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I, I would. I, I definitely. I definitely see a swing back into the the Microsoft camp. Believe it or not, I think that. Um, 
that you know I know I'm feeling it. I'm always feeling it. Uh, I'm always on the cutting edge in Silicon Valley where you know we're starting to spin up Windows again um, because Macs are becoming a less computer computer oriented, right? And there's still a lot of need for desktops out there, right? Mouse, keyboard, you know, interaction, traditional sense. There's still millions of apps out there that we use in a traditional way where they don't, like you say, fit into mobile. Where I'm not a nurse. I'm actually sitting at a desk. I'm doing stock trading, or I'm doing banking, or I'm doing a, I'm doing real work in a desktop traditional way, and. I see Microsoft starting to, you know, in 10, move back to the start menu, the whole shift to this mobile flat screen, you know, uh, boxy type is kind of going away again. And we're, we're seeing the pendulum switch back, swing back a little bit through, you know, a, a traditional desktop space because there's a lot of people that still do that. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see whether 10, you know, embraces that again. And, 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 and that helps us because we're there to kind of virtualize the whole desktop. Uh, but we, we need a traditional desktop there to, 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 to do that work. And I don't see any of that going away. Are, do you guys feel that pendulum swing back yet in, in, in your space? Well, we're certainly seeing increasing demand for virtual desktops. And, and like you, I do not see desktops going away. There's just people – I associate it with people who sit at a desk. If you sit at a desk, you need a, a desktop, whether it be, you know, Tenzig is mentioned on here, whether it be a thin client or a zero client or something. People want keyboard, mouse, screen uh, if they're sitting at a desk all day. There are some use cases where the desktop was forced on them. Um, where, where it doesn't apply, but I don't see the desktop going away anytime soon. People still need an environment to, to work in depending on the industry that you're found in. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's one reason I, I see like, you know, the Surface Pros are becoming very, very uh, interesting to folks because they are, they are kind of a tablet, well, I would say they're more of a laptop that can be a tablet, but they still need that kind of tradition, those traditional access, those traditional apps where you, you point and click and you're not using your fingers, but you need something a little more convertible between to uh, uses. All right. Uh, well, well, that's certainly you know a, a great conversation. Um, we have a, a few more minutes here left left uh, in the hour. Um, anybody have anything interesting that they want to ask or uh, let people know about? Uh, it is a it is a community roundtable. Uh, the community, I think we have like 20 people online right now. Anybody have anything they want to add to the conversation? Feel free. This is the last five or so minutes of the of the podcast. Happy to have anybody join in with any kind of questions. Um, if people are, are on the chat window mentioning a couple things, Chromebooks. Um, let's see, I'm trying to follow along and see if there's any interesting questions in the chat window themselves. Uh, reading through. Um, next week we're going to try to have the Docker conversation again. It got canceled last week. So uh, if you're interested in... Uh, Docker and application deployment uh, for in the cloud. We're going to try to get some guys on to talk about that. Uh, interesting stuff there. Um, let's see. Anything else out there? Ryan, great job on the questions. Uh, Tony and uh, Danny, uh, really neat to have you on. Uh, Tony, as always, good to have you here. Um, nice drill down on the technology. I think uh, it's, it's nice to have a tech marketing guy back in that can, can drill down into those questions. I think Mike Laverick, uh, you know, kind of fell off near the end of the, the end of the podcast series. So great to have that drill down. Uh, nice to do that. Please send us Thank feedback you. on um, on what you think of Ryan. Uh, Ryan, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, my my Twitter handle is at 10:30 a.m. T e n t h i r t y a m. Don't ask me how I came up with that. 10:30 uh, <laughs> a.m. 
Um, actually, uh, t Tony or Danny, where can folks find uh, more information or get in contact with you online? Do you have a Twitter handle, blog? So, I blog to the VMware uh, Central blog myself. Yeah, I, I kind of went looking for Danny, Danny Allen, uh, your Twitter handle. I went looking for it. I couldn't find it. Do you actually have one? I do have one, but not one that's out in the public forum, actually. I probably should, especially being CTO of Deathstone, but uh, I do not have one in the public forum. We're you need have to, to, get one. to get one. Because I yeah. Googled you, and I figured out, I found instances where people were tweeting about you, and they just <laughs> use your name, and they don't put a Twitter handle there, right? And I'm like, I don't think he has one, right? Like, he's a, he's a non-Twitter guy. <laughs> I have five kids. That keeps me busy enough. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's impressive. Impressive. There you go. What about, well, what about you, what about you, Tony? I am wonder underscore nerd on Twitter. Uh, and you he can, is. He is easy to find. Doesn't take long <laughs> to find. To to find uh, wonder underscore nerd. Nope. There's Need only to, one. Yeah, I need to take care of the squatter on uh, Wonder Nerd. Uh, but you just haven't gotten around to that one yet. It's like you and Brian, you and Brian Graft are fighting for the uh, the ones you want. Yes, we are. All right. Well, uh, we're near the top of the hour. Thanks a lot to the guests, Tony, Danny. Thanks for being here. Uh, we're going to try to do the uh, next week's. We're going to try to get the Docker guys back on. Talk about Docker. Talk about what we're doing in ESXi to support Docker. Uh, it's going to be some cool stuff coming out in the next uh, next quarter or two around that. Uh, it's, it's continuing to gain some momentum, and we're paying attention to it as always. Um, so, you know, we care about virtualization. We care about applications, applications anywhere. We want to know that. Um, look forward to getting your free VMs for a year out there to all your V-Experts. And if you're not part of the V-Expert program, uh, you should get in it because if you're listening to this, you're probably a community activist, and uh, we want you in that program so we can get free stuff out to you as well. Uh, thanks a lot for joining. Um, any kind of final comments before I hit the big stop button? Going once. Thanks for being on. Thanks for being on the show. Uh, we'll see you again next week. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.